Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today we're joined by Jamie Erickson, who's the author of a, a unique book called Holy Hugue. It's creating a place for people to gather and the gospel to grow. Now, I'm not even sure I pronounced that correctly. It is such a unique word. It's Danish by its nature, and we're going to learn more about that, but also the contents of this book by the author, Jamie Erickson. Thank you so much for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. Excellent. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, because as, as far as the foundation of the book, your interest as a wife, a mother, a homeschooler, I mean, all of those are foundational to this idea of creating a place to gather for the gospel to spread. So tell us a little bit about who you are as Jamie Erickson. Well, I am a wife of my college sweetheart for the past 20 years, and we do have five kids. I was a trained teacher in the classroom for years. I'm originally from Phoenix, and I met my husband at college, like I said, in Florida, and we did the only natural thing that a Phoenician would want to do, and that would be follow love all the way to central Minnesota, a really teeny tiny town. And I you know, was from the inner city, so you can imagine what a um, cultural shock that was for me. I often say every time I walked into a room those first two years of marriage, I I heard that small uh, Sesame Street song in my head playing on repeat. One of these things just doesn't belong here. Um, And so that's how I felt for the first couple of years. But I have slowly been cocooned in Midwestern living, specifically in the life of the Danish people. And my husband is Danish. So I get to reap the benefit of that. That's a rather unique kind of perspective on this whole subject, because when we're talking about bringing people in, uh, there's obviously ways that people that are already part of a community feel naturally part of that community. But really, as Christians, we're constantly bringing outsiders into our community that don't understand the language, they don't understand the lingo, they don't understand Mm -hmm. the way that we, uh, our practices and our traditions. And as you said, that it's kind of a little unsettling. Yeah, we are to model the welcoming in that Christ did for us. You know, as as believers, we have been grafted in. We were one of the wandering ones and God made room for us at his table and and we are supposed to be image bearers of that to the world. And so, you know, I wrote this book with the purpose of hopefully providing some tools for people to be able to do that, to swing their doors wide and be able to mirror the love of God that has been extended to them. Hmm. Now, the title of the book is Holy Hugue, and I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly, so I'm going to rely on you. Close. Uh, but explain to us what that means. Well, Hugue is a loan word. Um, most of our language, about 80% of our language in English is actually comprised of loan words. And it is a Danish word that really doesn't have an English equivalent. But if I were to, you know, give you the short cliff notes of what Hugo means to the Danish people, it sort of engenders feelings of co- coziness and contentment, rest. Um, in in my book, I concentrate on seven specific tenets of Hugo that I actually feel like you can see in the very first home of the garden and then later in the second home of the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I feel like that's, that's sort of been um, the Danish attempt to create the sanctuary life that we're all longing for on this side of the garden. Hmm. 
Hmm. It is a warm community. I have a lot of Danish friends, and uh, beyond their cooking and meatballs, they have a large amount of relationships and connections, mm-hmm. and and family is huge. There's something really warm about the Danish people. It would make sense that they would have something that they could teach us a little bit about this idea of hospitality and warmth in community. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're seen as stoic mm-hmm. uh, because they are very sturdy. Um, they have thick skin, and you know that's both uh, naturally just from the weather. You know, when you live in the bitter, biting cold of winter for what feels like you know twelve months of the year, you do have to sturdy up and and be thick skinned. But just relationally too. But what we have to understand that stoicism is actually a welcoming in, a drawing in of the people that are nearest and dearest to them. They have very tight relational circles, actually, but they are deep instead of like a mile wide and only an inch deep. They they gather in with a few select um, relationships Hmm. and go deep. Now, you call this a holy huge, which mm-hmm. is uh, you're trying to take what is naturally within this community that you married into and bring it into the church with an understanding of how we are called to build these communities of relationship. So explain to us how the spiritual component fits in. Yeah, Huga is not a faith-based idea. It's just a lifestyle practice. But as I mentioned before, I feel like um, so many layers of Huga, you can actually see those in Christ, the person of Christ who we are supposed to be modeling. And so my book really does uh, give us a glimpse of what it looks like at the intersection of this, you know, regular lifestyle and our life in Christ. Huga is just a tool, one of many that we as believers can employ to really mirror the abundant life to the world. It gives us some practical handholds. but again, it's it's not a, a faith-based practice. But I would argue that Christ modeled um, a one-piece life. His secular and his sacred were together. You know, he was a man that uh, he was a man, both ma- man and God. He healed people of their sins, called them out of their sin. But he also used regular everyday tools like clay and spit. And and so I feel like. Um, we're allowed to do that as well. Huga is just one tool that I can use to proclaim the truth, proclaim the love of Christ to the world. This idea of community is so important, and it's something established mm-hmm. by Jesus himself. He says, by this, others will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, by talking about the the brotherhood of the Christian fellowship. And we mm-hmm. also see that in Galatians, where uh, Paul is instructing the church to love one another, but particularly to love the church, to love the people mm-hmm. within their community. That is something that is also very attractive to the world, a community that is made mm-hmm. up of, of very diverse individuals, but has have a bond that transcends any common sense. Mm -hmm. Especially in our, you know, post-pandemic world where our ability to gather together and actually have face-to-face conversations and know how to do that well, we've kind of lost our muscle memory to do that well. And the whole world is craving connection. I mean, who doesn't want to be seen and known and loved? And so I believe as believers, we have something to offer the world that they are intrinsically craving. You know, we're all, ever since the garden, we're all nomads wandering this life, searching for home. Well, you and I have 
true and lasting home. And, and Christ has offered that to us. And, and it should be our delight to be able to extend that to our family, our friends and neighbors. Now, what are the specific qualities of Hugo that you want to apply or bring into this understanding of the gospel? Yeah, there are seven that I focus on in the book. Again, they're, they're not the only seven, but I think that they're the foundations of Hugo, and that's hospitality, relationships, well-being, and that's kind of the care of oneself and the care of others, atmosphere, comfort, and contentment, and then rest. And I think if you unpack each one of those, you can find them um, both, again, in the garden, in the life of Christ, deeply rooted in scripture. It's sort of the bread and butter of our faith, if you will. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about hospitality. I think this is, in particular, a post-COVID, a post-pandemic kind of mindset. Uh, hospitality is uh, both, in some ways, more attractive, but it's also a little more challenging. Right. Well, the root word for hospitality actually is um, the same word that we get the word hospital from. And so in that sense, when we are opening our door, we are being able to be like first responders to the world. God called his children, the Israelites, to be a hospitable nation. In fact, it was a grave offense if you were a Jew and you did not leave, you know, the sides of your tent open or have a welcoming door. Um, and you can see that modeled with some of the heroes of faith um, because his view of hospitality was to welcome the stranger. It's really easy for us to grab for our friends and our neighbors, those who are like us, who look like us, who are easy to welcome in. But God wants us to take it one step for further and welcome the stranger. And if you look at the life of Christ, you know, he was always gathered around people celebrating over over a feast. In fact, at one point when he wasn't invited to someone's house, he invited himself, you know, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And he um, bookended his life with feasting, with gathering with people. And, and so the very last meal that he spent here on earth, um, he welcomed somebody he knew would betray him, but he sent the invite anyway. Mm. I think this is such an important component and uh, such a unique part of that. This is the meal, uh, sitting mm -hmm. together around each other. You know, we focus on the meal uh, as a uh, necessity, but there's also another layer to that, isn't there? Right. You know, we are bread and wine people. And I find it so interesting that God used the one thing that is his forever for all of eternity symbolized with sin, you know, a bite of food to also then be the symbol for the redemption of it, um, bread and wine. And I think that there's something um, internal that happens when you and I can sit across the table. The table then becomes like um, a place of communion, a gathering, just having that uh, bowl of beans or plate of pasta in front of us gives us our hands something to do so we're not as awkward. I don't know about you, but as I've invited people to my table and given them a place, extended my table, put another chair out, I've opened the doors of communication in ways that would not otherwise happen apart from the table. There's a safety there when, when there's a little bit of space between us, but our eyes are locked, we're engaged, our hands have something to do. There's a vulnerability that happens around the table. Hmm. You know, I, I apply that uh, to a different scenario where our church actually has a thrift store 
uh, that mm. uh, came with the church when I became the pastor there. And I was a little intimidated by it at first because, like, what do you do with a thrift store in the church? It's taking up space. But what I found is I, I put myself in there on the days that it was opened and just sat in the middle of the store and talked to people as I came in. And I found that it, with, people have something to fidget with if they, have, you know, something mm-hmm. to eat or something to kind of. Uh, finger through uh, with clothes on a rack, uh, they open up. They're they're at ease. I could never have gotten out of them the sort of stories and their hurts and their concerns if I had sat down across from them in a counseling session. But here in this place where they're very comfortable, uh, there is a unique connection of of relationship that's being formed, and that mm-hmm. comes from a place of hospitality. Mm-hmm. I think it all starts at home, and I think that's one of the reasons why so often when Christ, when he was here on earth and he referenced our lives in heaven, he used words like home and family, because there is something that happens in a home that cannot happen anywhere else, that familial connection. My table, my living room, my couch has been the threshing floor for all kinds of things, you know, um, marital disputes, cancer diagnosis, um, other illnesses, troubles with teens. My friends and family feel way more comfortable sharing the hard things of life in my home versus even at like a church prayer meeting. And that's not to negate the need for a church prayer meeting, but there's just something vulnerable that happens when you invite somebody in. They can see not only, you know, you know, how you live out the gospel, but they also get to see your real ugly brokenness in your home and how Christ can redeem all of that. There you are showing them your real self and then inviting them to walk in and do the same to mm. bring their real struggles and their real self. Now you talk a little bit about hospitality in the context that, uh, you know, for some of us, it might feel like that's a particular spiritual gift. Some people are mm-hmm. really good at being hospitable, but this is something like evangelism, even if it's not your particular giftedness, it's something we're, right. we should all strive for, isn't it? Right. It is a command in scripture. It was given to the Israelites, at least as as a command, because um, God knew that it would be a great conduit for making everyone feel welcome. It was specifically so that um, those sort of displaced socially widows and orphans would still have a place to belong. And so it's not something that we can just slough off and say, well, that's for somebody who has a gift. I think that there are definitely um, some folks who hospitality comes naturally in the same way that some folks evangelism comes naturally. But I think that it can be a learned skill. And I hope that my book provides some practical ways. Um, The other thing to remember is uh, Huga hospitality is a a major component in a Hugely lifestyle, but it's not the only thing. So if hospitality is is not your strength in that list of seven, we'll lean into one of the other six and hospitality can play a lesser role. But I really do think that they're all very intricately woven and you really can't have one without the other. Hmm. Now, we lived in a world for the past couple of years where relationships were strained, uh, relationships mm. were put to the limit, and people were divided on a lot of issues. So yeah. how, how have we learned, maybe, maybe the last couple of years have taught us a little bit more about relationships, but how important they are as well. Mm-hmm. And relationships really are the connective tissue in, in our walk of faith. We're called to be disciplers and to be discipled. Um, in my book, I talk about the three major relationships that every Christian should have in some 
component or some um, part of their life, because that's the types of relationships that Jesus modeled for us. And those are relationships of encouragement. Those are the people that, you know, stand side by side with you that kind of look like you and act like you and um, share a lot of the same things that you can encourage one another in the faith. There's relationships of discipleship where you are either reaching ahead or reaching behind that you are in a mother, daughter, sister um, alignment with different people along the faith journey. And then there are relationships that are really just strictly evangelism, where you are walking out and living out your faith in front of those who do not uh, prescribe to that faith and um, sharing the hope that you have in, in Christ. And really, any other relationship apart from those three are kind of a waste of our time as believers, because those are the three relationships that you see in the concentric circles of relationships that Jesus modeled here on earth. And what I think is so unique about those three relationships is all of those somehow start within the home environment yeah. as well. Because you have, you know, you're raising of your children, you're trying to, to evangelize them and get them to understand the gospel, and then you're trying to disciple them. You're also trying to encourage your spouse. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. those happen in an immediate circle. I always like to tell people, if you're struggling with how to break into a relationship with somebody outside of your natural kind of community, so you can practice it right there at home. And that's what Jesus did. It wasn't by accident that God placed him in a family in the brokenness of a home. You know, he got to live out, um, walk out his life in a blended family, even where some of his siblings didn't naturally like him all the time. You know, he got to see the raw rage of siblings and um, jealousy and all the the familial emotions that we all have to walk through. He started first as a young child, learning, stepping into that and modeling what it looks like to do that well. Hmm. Another one of these components I wanted to talk about, uh, which really caught my attention, was this idea of atmosphere. And uh, Mm. how is that component essential when we're talking about creating a place that is a community for the fostering of the gospel? Well, when we think about atmosphere, we have to shift our definition of what atmosphere really is, because, you know, if we're looking at the life of Christ to model for us atmosphere, he had nowhere to lay his head. So his atmosphere is quite a bit different than ours. I don't know about you, but I know homes that are beautifully decorated, but leave me feeling ill at ease. They're chaotic. They're not, they're very unloving. Um, So when you think of atmosphere, atmosphere, I don't want you to necessarily think of just like what is on the wall. To the Danish people, atmosphere would comprise all five senses. So when you walk into a home that really um, has a great atmosphere, you're smelling nice things. You're touching warm, cuddly, cozy things. You're hearing things that put your mind at ease. Atmosphere is really when all five of your senses are kind of at harmony. if, if, if I can use that word. Um, and so I think that as Jesus walked out his days, he put people at ease. He created a space of growth. He created a space of um, support. And he um, created a life-giving atmosphere all around him with just the way he interacted with people. And so I don't think atmosphere, I don't think you have to be an, a professional interior designer. I certainly am not but I think we all can create places where people can feel right at home in our home. 
I think that's such an important component because uh, there is a pressure and there's this, mm. you know, there's always this idea of, of going in, you got to check out uh, uh, all the different surfaces. And of course, when you have company coming over, you got to vacuum underneath the rug even, you know, because you're afraid that uh, your guests are going to come over and, and pick up the rug to see if you actually cl- cleaned it thoroughly. Right. Although that never happens. Uh, there is a lot of pressure to impress people with a clean house and a representation that we have it all together, but that's not what you're describing when you're describing atmosphere. There's a difference between hospitality and entertaining. And I think as Americans, we need to form that distinction in, in ourselves because we are living under the Instagram pressure of perfection. And we see kind of the highlight reels of everyone's home all the the rooms that are perfectly decorated and perfectly clean. But remember, people are coming into your home to uh, build relationship. And when we try to secret our real selves away and, uh, you know, we feel like we have to present just the right meal, have an immaculate home, you know, the perfect tablescape, what we're really doing is we're making it about us. It's a very prideful posture. And we should be asking, Lord, how can I make them this about them? And I can guarantee you nobody's going to come into your house with a white glove ready to (laughs) inspect. And actually, um, I have bore witness to homes that really do live or look like they have been lived in, like life happens here. And I'm much more apt to reciprocate the invitation to that person knowing, okay, the expectations are normal here. And so I think it's a give and take. When I can um, open my door to my real life to people, I'm really giving them the courage to do the same. Mm. You're providing a place of rest as well in your house. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. what we want to project to the world that we do rest. We, we want them to be able to ask us about the hope that we have in Christ. And you can't certainly present that image if your world is chaotic and unrestful. Right. And I think that rest is a twofold word. You know, Edith Schaefer once said that a home is should have a door with both a hinge and a lock. I think it's good for your home, especially for those who are in full-time vocational ministry. I think it's good to illustrate the lock part of a home and really be able to cocoon your family inside for a time and know that you're actually being equipped and prepared to go out into the fray and do what God has called you to by resting. And so that's part and parcel for resting is just being able to rest yourself, but also to be able to provide a place of rest, a a safe place when all the world is tottering for your friends and neighbors to come in and see just um, that easy yoke of Christ. Mm, Yes. I love the idea that the yoke that is easy and learning from Jesus. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. what this book is about, who is meek and lowly. Uh, in all of these, it's not pretentious. It's not about presenting a false form of huge. It's presenting a internalized form. So for our listeners who want to know, well, how, how do I project what I actually have inside? That's where it begins, is having that mm-hmm. peace inside my soul before I can project it. It's not about faking it. It's about actually experiencing it. Right. But sometimes a a good tool is handy and, and dare I say it, even necessary. I mean, Jesus laid out a model for prayer for us in scripture to show us how to do it. And that's really what I hope my book will, will be, you know, some of the things you might um, say, well, that's not for me. I'm going to eat the meat and spit out the bones. And that's 
completely fine. But I think everybody uh, could stand a little bit of help, especially in areas of, of the abundant life where we kind of struggle to model. So it's just a tool. That's all it is. For any of our listeners who are, are wondering, maybe, they're, maybe they haven't had anyone over to their house in a long mm-hmm. time, especially with the last two years. Maybe they're tentative about it. Maybe, maybe they're st- afraid that if they invite somebody else over that there would be a pressure and they'd have to have this whole con- conversation about uh, the pandemic. Uh, yeah. What kind of advice do you have for our listeners who are trying to navigate this whole idea? Well, I think we can all uh, create a lengthy list of why we don't want to invite people over. I think, remember that hospitality doesn't necessarily mean you have people in into your home. Hospitality really is just love in action. And you can be hospitable in the line at the grocery store. You can be a hospitable at the park. Um, one of my favorite easy go-tos for hospitality is just to keep a running list on my phone of the favorite fun drinks of all the major players in my life. You know, my friends, my pastor, my kid's coach. Um, so that way, when I hear that they've experienced either a struggle or a success in their day, I can drop off a, a a cup of huga for them to um, experience. I can be the touch of Christ in their life just by, you know, dropping five or six dollars at Starbucks for them and bringing it by. And that is an example of hospitality. Didn't cost me much. Didn't have to clean up my house. Didn't have to have anyone over. It's sort of a low stakes step into hospitality. Now you're speaking to a New England-based audience, so it's mm-hmm. not Starbucks, it's Dunkin' oh, Donuts. So sorry. It, we'll forgive you, uh, but for any of our listeners who are wondering, I drink my coffee black. Uh, that's uh, that's that's fine. It's really simple. You can remember that for the next time you come across my path, and we I've done something good, phones. worthy of achieving it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is a two-way street as well. To be friends, you must first show yourself friendly. And I think that that's yeah. the case. we got to call our church back to this whole idea of being friendly, being attractive to the world so that we can actually b- embrace the world and be a city on a hill, be salt, and to be light to them. Yeah, because if we're inviting people to step out of their life Um, accepting Christ and forming a new life, we have to understand that we have to have something for them to step into. Many of them will be leaving communities of people that um, would be in alignment with their old life. And if we don't offer them a community to step into, what are we really offering them? We're sort of leaving them um, without a life raft. Hmm. And with that being said, there are a lot of ways, in, in particular in your book, that you have given l- practical suggestions. It's not just a, an instruction on what we should be doing, but you're giving people some help and some guide in how to actually do that. Yeah, the whole back part of the book, the appendix, has you know a lengthy list of practical things you can do to be a light in your world. You know, light is a is a paramount in a Danish lifestyle. They burn more candles than any other country in the entire world. And I think that that can actually remind us as we are uh, practicing Huga, you know, in our neighborhoods, we are the light. We have the light. And really, our home should just reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. So um, hopefully, that list at the back of the book will give people some really tangible, practical things 
um, for walking their faith out in front of their friends and neighbors and not in a project way. We, nobody wants to feel like they're a project, but I think it, it is helpful when there's a little bit of a guidance or a little bit of a roadmap when we're talking about um, evangelizing the world by using what God has given us, our four walls. Hmm. And at the core of all of this, we bathe it in prayer. I always like to tell our listeners, you know, start your day with prayer for that God would show you what you can do, who you can help, have your eyes open. And uh, with that being said, could I ask you to pray for our listeners and uh, your readers that they would value and see the importance that God has provided for us to provide a place for our families, ourselves, but also our community to be a, a witness for the gospel? I would love to. Yes. Lord, you are the bread of life. You were broken for us. And what an honor it is to break bread with others, to mirror the love that you've given us to them. I pray that we would be bold with our witness, but that we would be humble to be able to invite people in, in a transparent way, in an authentic way into our homes where they can see our brokenness, but also how you have redeemed it all, Lord. I pray that you would um, go before my book. I, I ask that it would exhort um, wives, mothers, husbands, friends to be able to open their homes, to be able to begin to see their homes as a place for kingdom work. What a gift it is to steward a home well, Lord. I pray that we would do it well, and it's for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We've been talking with Jamie Erickson. Her book is called Holy Hugo, uh, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow. And I don't know why I keep on saying Hugo like I'm Japanese, but <laughs> that's what I hear in the back of my mind when I hear it. Uh, it's a great resource, a great book, and one that uh, will hopefully, as, as we come out of this pandemic, the opportunities that we have all around us to step up to be the church and to be the community that embraces those who are hurting and those who are on the fringes. So I can't thank you enough, Jamie. Thank you so much for this book, but also for giving us your time today for this conversation. This was delightful. Thank you for having me.